I'm reading from Acts chapter 5 verse 12 to chapter 6 verse 7. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them but the people held them in high esteem and more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out, and said, Go and stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honour by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do to these men. For before these days, the Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, 
and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonour for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Thanks, Anne, for taking us through that uh, lengthy passage. Morning, everybody. It's really good to be with you and great that we can be together and great that we can share the next part of our uh, journey through the book of Acts. So uh, let's join together to do that. And as we do, let's just come to God in prayer, shall we, and ask that God just quietens our hearts and prepares us uh, to hear from him. Let's pray together, shall we? Father God, thank you for your word. We pray that you'll help us to see through familiar words to hear and to see what you have for us. Lord, will you open our hearts and our minds? Will you convict us where we need conviction? Will you build our faith where we're lacking? Reassure us where we doubt? And will you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Amen. At the beginning of the book of Acts, Luke records some of the final words of Jesus before he ascends to be with his father. And pretty much Jesus' final words, his parting words to his disciples were these. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, in much the same way as uh, Jesus commissioned the disciples, so that commission still holds true 
for us today. For those of us who love the Lord and are seeking to follow the Lord, then we too have this commission. Jez was reminding us last week that we are a missional community and, uh, and we're devoting ourselves to the teaching of Jesus. And even at the beginning of the service, Jez reminded us that part of Oikos's mission is to be healthy disciples, to build healthy discipleship. And so that's really important. But of course, for us, our, our um, sphere, the world in which we operate, isn't Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but rather it's Erdington and Birmingham and beyond. But nevertheless, we still have that mission uh, that we need to fulfil as followers of Jesus. And from the passage that we've uh, looked at today, there are three themes that I'd like to just pull out for us to think about. So in our missional work as followers of Jesus, we'll face persecution, we'll receive power and protection, and we'll renew our priorities and purpose. So let's look at the first of those uh, now and just remind ourselves very briefly of the ways in which we can see persecution in the passage that we've looked at. Firstly, uh, the apostles, as they're now known, are um, in prison. They're arrested and put into prison. And you'll remember that this isn't the first time that this has happened. Certainly Peter and John, we read about in chapter 4, they've also been in prison before. So it's not necessarily coming as a new thing for them, but nevertheless certainly counts as persecution. And then they're questioned before the Sanhedrin or the council. This is the leading Jewish council of the day. 70 people, 70 men, made up broadly of two sects. The minority group there were the the Pharisees, but the majority group were the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And that was a little bit of a problem, certainly as far as Jesus was concerned, because he proved them wrong. Jesus raised many people to life, and of course, he himself was raised to life. And this um, it really blows them out of the water, and, and it's a real raw nerve as far as they're concerned. Such that when Peter puts this to them, when he's questioned, um, they become enraged and they threaten to execute Peter and the other apostles. Now, Gamaliel intervenes, and we'll come to that in, in a moment or two, but... Even despite that, they still get flogged and given a a, a warning, and it's a second warning, that they should uh, not speak in the name of Jesus. So uh, there's no denying the fact that they are persecuted. Now for us today, following Jesus isn't always easy, and we too will face persecution. Jesus himself warns us about that on a number of occasions. Here's just one example from John 15 and verse 18. If the world hates you, Jesus says, know that it has hated me before it hated you. A couple of weeks ago, Dan reminded us that our adversaries come from the world, the devil, and our own flesh. Those can be the sources of our persecution. It led me to think about the last time I was persecuted. And certainly in the UK, it's, it's not the usual thing that we face imprisonment or court appearances or flogging because of our faith. 
Persecution for us might be much more devious and wily. Uh, something that can be hard for us to recognise and something that can lead to compromise if we're not careful. There are those around the world, though, that will face persecution in a much more uh, obvious and physical way. I was recently sent a, a video of um, 50 uh, Christians from 50 countries from around the world joining together to sing the song Amazing Grace. It was really a very moving a video to watch. But I noticed the fact that two of the people that were taking part in that, a Christian from China and one from Iran, both had their faces blurred so that we couldn't identify them. And it struck me quite forcibly that these are people who would face persecution of one sort or another if they were identified. So whilst we don't have that to contend with, we are susceptible to persecution and it's part of our human nature that if we're not careful we can take evasive action when we think that persecution is a risk. I recently uh, met up with a friend, uh, a friend from a, in a work context and when we meet together we chat and at the end of our time we, we often pray together, we pray for one another. When I last met him, I was in a circumstance where a work colleague of mine was in the same space. And we chatted and I noticed I was very conscious of my work colleague in the same area. And my conversation was much quieter than it might normally have been. And when it's time for us to go, my friend said, uh, let's pray. And I said, why don't you pray? Now, I did pray, but... It was a quick and quiet prayer. And I'm ashamed to say now that I was ashamed of the gospel at that moment because my work colleague was in the room. And just moments later, this verse came to me. A verse from Luke 9. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. It leads us to ask that question. Am I facing persecution? And if not, why not? Is it that I'm hiding or avoiding? Am I changing the subject? Am I keeping quiet? The disciples were released from prison and they could continue their witnessing. But when it comes to us witnessing, I wonder if we are also in some kind of prison. Maybe it's the prison that is the fear of rejection, or embarrassment, or inadequacy. Maybe it's the prison that keeps us hold keeps hold on us because we love the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God, as we read in John chapter 12 and verse 43. Matthew Henry writes this, There is no prison so dark, so strong, that God cannot visit his people in it, and if he pleases, fetch them out. If God fetches us out of that prison then we are free to continue with our commission to share the good news of him. 
And if God's given us that mission, then he's going to equip us. It's really important that we just consider the responses of the apostles to the persecution that they faced. In verse 29, when uh, Peter is addressing the, the council, he starts by saying, we must obey God rather than men. Even in the face of opposition, he is not prepared to compromise. Then in verse 41, they've been through all of this trauma, including being flogged. And as they leave, they rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonour. And lastly, despite the warning that they were given not to, they continued preaching in the temple and from house to house. They did not cease. And you'll notice that they introduced a new strategy despite the warnings from the council. Persecution is hard, but it produces fruit. And that can be a cause for us too to rejoice. Jesus warns us that we'll face that and encourages us. Here are some words from Luke chapter 6. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. So for, their, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Notice how Jesus has identified the nature of the persecution that we might face he, t- he tells us that people might hate us or exclude us or revile us or spurn our name. Jesus is fully aware of the nature of the persecution that we might be facing here in 2020. James 2, one of Jesus' special disciples, uh, right on the front line of witnessing and of persecution. In fact, he was the first of the apostles to die for his faith. Before he did that, though, he wrote these words to encourage us. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If we're being persecuted then it might lead us to think that we're doing something wrong, but we're not. A little bit like going to the gym in that we've got to suffer an amount of pain before we see the benefit. If we're being persecuted, then there's a fair chance that actually we're doing the right thing in God's eyes. It can be a hard message as we are part of expanding God's kingdom. But we're not on our own in doing that. And so if we look at the second of the themes that emerges here, We will, in our missional work, we will receive power and protection. Now, in the context of uh, these verses, power is referring to authority or the warrant to do something. The warrant or the right to do something. And when it comes to protection, we have uh, a promise and an instruction. The promise is this. If God is for us, who can be against us? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We read that in Romans chapter 8. And the instruction, 
put on the full armour of God. This is what we're instructed to do, and those same resources were available to the apostles. Let's quickly remind ourselves of the examples that we see of um, power and protection in the passage that we've looked at today. Firstly, the uh, angel of the Lord comes and opens the prison doors uh, such that they are able to leave. I would just love to have been a fly on the wall to have seen the faces of those prison guards when they went to open the doors and discovered that their prisoners had gone. A A miracle had taken place. But we also see that power in the faithful obedience of the apostles. They are instructed to go and stand in the temple and speak. Wouldn't you think that, having been imprisoned, arrested and imprisoned, the last place they wanted to be was in the place where they were arrested? Wouldn't it be human nature to just scarper and be somewhere else? But following the instructions from the angel on behalf of the Lord, they absolutely go right back into the thick of it. They go back into that danger. And they speak boldly. A couple of weeks ago, Dan reminded us of the journey that uh, Peter himself had been on. He was an unschooled fisherman, a bit rough and ready, a bit clumsy, got it wrong on a number of occasions, particularly when he denies Jesus. But here he is giving the Sanhedrin, the top council of the Jewish faith, he stood there giving them what for? The irony here is that the council is saying, don't preach in the name of Jesus. But Peter knows that the source of his power and his protection is Jesus. Finally, um, we see, we see uh, the power and the protection in the form of Gamaliel. Now, he's an interesting chap. He is uh, the leader of the Pharisees. That's the smaller sect in the Sanhedrin. Um, Compared to the Sadducees, he's something of a moderate. He's a teacher of the law, we're told in verse 34. We know that he's a teacher of the law and he's held in honour by all of the people. Now, the reason for his intervention is not completely clear. Some Bible scholars think that he was uh, particularly keen to stop there being divisions in the Sanhedrin with the two sects that were there. Others think that it might be that he was um, seeking to avoid antagonising the Romans any further. But Gamaliel has wisdom. And no matter what his motivation, God uses him to protect his apostles, his witnesses. And Gamaliel speaks a great truth. We read in verses 38 and 39, if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Now, the previous insurrections that are referred to there were military They involve the shedding of blood. Peter's not about that. Peter and the apostles are not about that. They're about bringing the word of God and they're about bringing that in a a peaceful way. Interestingly, though, the writer to the Hebrews talks about the word of God as being sharper than a two-edged sword. 
you'll remember that in the early days of uh, Peter's discipleship with Jesus. Uh, They were all together and Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And then he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. Peter got it. And at that time, Jesus renamed him from Simon to Peter. And Peter means the rock. And he used these words, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's really crucial for us to know and remember that we are on the winning side, and God will build his church. Now, missional work for us um, involves following that same instruction that was given by the angel to the apostles. To go and to speak to the people all the words of this life. So I wonder, what's your story? We can often believe that we have to have some sort of dramatic story that's worthy of a Hollywood movie to make it worth telling to other people. But that's just not the case. What's God doing for you right now? What's he showing you? What have you learnt in the past from God? What does your relationship with Jesus actually mean to you? We often talk about good news and we know that the word gospel means good news, but are we really telling it like it is good news? When I was a student a long time ago, uh, somebody came up to me once and said, what does being a Christian mean to you? And without stopping to think, I said, it's hard work. I've been kicking myself ever since because what a golden opportunity that was. And I blew it. Peter himself gives us some encouragement there and and encourages us to be prepared. And he uses these words. But in your heart, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And explicitly there in Peter's words is that we live in hope. So then we can look at the third theme that comes from this passage. In our missional work, we will renew our priorities and our purpose. Again, let's very quickly look at the examples of this in the passage that we've looked at. We've seen this verse already, but verse 29 is really crucial here. We must obey God more than men, Peter and the apostles say before the council. Their priority is absolutely crystal clear, and they will not deviate from that, and they will not entertain any compromise. And there's a major challenge for us here as well, isn't there, in terms of our priority and the danger for us to compromise. There's real potential that as society continues to change in the way that it is, that potential for conflict for us as Christians continues. So what's our priority going to be and how can we maintain that priority? We know too that uh, despite the warnings, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And we've already seen that they add a new strategy there. Their purpose is not wavered, but they stick to it rigidly. 
Now, as the early church continued to grow, a particular problem or issue emerged. And as that issue emerges, then again we see the apostles making their priority and their purpose absolutely clear. They said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God. That's the number one priority. But that doesn't mean that the issue that had arisen was something that needed to be swept away or that they weren't concerned about. And they came up with a particular plan. Now, the issue was with the distribution of food, and there were two groups involved. The first group, the Hellenists, they were the Greek-speaking people who would have been um, from overseas but in the area at the time. And the other group were the the Hebrews or the Hebraic people, as some translations of the Bible put it. Now, they were Aramaic-speaking people, and uh, they would be natives to Israel. And the confusion about the distribution of food appears to have been much more a linguistic issue than any other issue. And so the answer to the the problem is to appoint uh, these seven men, all Greek-speaking, and their job or their mission and their purpose and priority is to oversee the distribution of food amongst the early Christians there. Now, this purpose that they are given and this priority that they are given, it's not a dismissive thing because of the laying on of hands. These men are pulled, pulled aside for this purpose. And the laying on of hands was um, an ancient Jewish a symbol of setting them aside and giving them this mission and this purpose. And so it becomes much more significant and important. And for us today, we need to ask that same question. What's our mission? What's our purpose? What's our priority? We know that we too share the same priority as the apostles, that we need to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And as a, and as a group, then, then praise the Lord for our leaders who guide us and direct us to be able to do that. But we are also members of the body. So corporately, we are part of the body. And Paul talks about that in quite a bit of detail and, and expands the idea in both uh, 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians chapter 4. He expands the idea that we are the body. And in that uh, analogy, we need one another. We are dependent on one another. And we all have a purpose and a priority to fulfill. In terms of your work uh, to, in the church, in the body, then your purpose and your priority, you're enabled to fulfill that because you will have the resources that the Holy Spirit makes available to us. So you too are set apart to do that job. Maybe this is a time when you need to renew that purpose and that priority for yourself. So... In conclusion, we see this. When we get the purpose and the priority right, and we operate through the power and the protection of the Holy Spirit, then we see proliferation. Sorry, I couldn't resist continuing the uh, alliteration there. Look at the verse at the end there. And the word of God continued to increase 
And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And the mention there of the priests is significant because for the apostles, the priests represented a really hard to reach group. Indeed, some of them had been amongst those that were persecuting the apostles. So it's really significant that some of them uh, turn their obedience and their worship and their loyalty to the Lord Jesus. At these times, we're familiar with images of a spreading infection and one person can spread it to various others and this chart just shows us the way in which that works well spreading disease isn't a great thing spreading infections not good but if we just change that idea to spreading the kingdom spreading the word of God then actually that's a really helpful image for us and what it shows us is that we don't do this on our own we work as a body but we can have an influence and no matter what our purpose and our priority may be Our contribution is never unimportant and it's not insignificant and it will spread. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could rewrite this last verse to say this, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Birmingham. That would be an amazing thing. There'd be opportunity to discuss that just a little bit more in our discussion groups after our gathering today. Let's pray together, though, to close, shall we? Please pray with me. And it may well be that you just want to keep an eye on this final slide and remember some of those key messages, that we are called to be witnesses. We are called to be a missional community. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have chosen to use us in the furtherance of your kingdom. Please will you renew in us a sense of passion for you and for your word. Compassion for those around us who are lost without you. Please renew in us, Lord Jesus, a servant heart. Thank you for that, Simon. Um, I am both uh, challenged and excited at the same time. Um, and uh, I pray that, that you are too. And I pray also that in your groups you'll just get opportunity just to discuss this stuff and drill a bit deeper and, um, I suppose, expose some of the areas in, in our hearts and our, in our minds where... Um, 
Yeah, maybe just, just talk through this stuff. Yeah, our, our great desire, isn't it, is that we grow up into Christ, that we love him more and more and more and more, and that others come to know and love him more and more and more as we serve Jesus and speak for, for Jesus. And, um, yeah, I pray for Oikos that we, we would just ask the Lord how we might do that well. And as uh, Simon said, uh, we've been um, both appointed and anointed, as the word set apart, and given all the resources and all the gifts that we need to do, that, that, that God has given us to do. So I pray that even just in the discussion, there might be opportunity to just think through that. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll go off into our groups. This is a benediction from Ephesians 3, 17 to 19, and it says this. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. May God bless you. May God keep you. May God cause his face to shine upon you. May you seek to be obedient in all that he would have for you to do this week. May he lead you to that place of prayer on your knees. May he lead your hands to serve both brothers and sisters in Christ and those who are lost. May God lead you to speak the truth with love to those who need to, to, to hear it in our lost and broken world. May God bless you and hopefully we'll see each other soon. God bless. Sing.